The Hard Shoulder. With Nissan. Number one for petrol in Ireland. Number one for electric. Nissan. Innovation that excites. This is News Talk. Welcome back to The Hard Shoulder with Susan Kyo sitting in for Ivan Yates this evening. Now, every Friday on the show at this time, we take a look back at some of the stories that really got us talking over the past seven days. And joining me for this edition of The Final Furlong in the studio this evening are Bill Hughes, producer at Mind the Gap Films, Geraldine Herbert, motoring journalist and Steve Cummins, comedian. You're all very welcome along to the programme. How are you all? Good evening. Fantastic. Now, we're going to start with a story from home this week, uh, more specifically about your neighbours. Let's have a listen to this. Neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. Just a friendly wave each morning helps to make a better day. Now, we all remember that, but uh, we're playing it because new legislation being proposed could change the complaints process for people who deal with noisy neighbours. Uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin, Midwest, John Curran. He wants to protect the identity of a complainant. So at the minute, people have to lodge complaints with the Residential Tenancies Board if their neighbours are renters. But they have to provide their own name, which Mr Curran has said is making people fearful to raise issues. So it got us talking about noisy neighbours. Bill, we might come to you first on this. Have you ever had a noisy neighbour? I'd say you're more likely to be a noisy neighbour. <laughs> Oh, oh, below Straight the belt, in. below the belt, and we haven't even started. Um, I, I will admit that back in the days when I was a renter and a student, yes, I was noisy. And then we soon, all were, though. Yeah, yeah. Back then, back then, that was in the seventies for me. Probably the nineties for you. And mm. um, so, I think this is actually brilliant because I live in an apartment. And uh, it's not without its problems. There are people living in the building who don't follow the rules. So what kind of thing would really grind your gears? Uh, People half parking in two spaces. Uh, That's one thing. People putting non-recyclables in the recyclables so that the whole building gets penalised by the collection company. So people putting their actual rubbish in on top of the papers and all that sort of stuff. That just really grinds my gears. Um, people trailing muck into the common areas and not going down to clean it because the cleaners come in once a week. And so they just leave the muck that they've gone. Or people who have pets in the building when no pets are allowed. Ooh, that's a real breaking so the rules. So there's loads of them. Uh, well, particularly when you go out in your corridor and there's a cat treating your corridor like it's a kitty litter pad, you know. So that doesn't help either. So loads of reasons why. But apart from anything else, you don't want confrontation on your own doorstep. Absolutely. You'll avoid it at all costs. Yeah, because you want to live Mm, in peace and harmony. And if somebody else is deciding to mess up that harmony, then you want to be able to call them on it. But you don't want to shatter the harmony by calling them on it face to face. You want to go through the proper channels as you do with everything else in life. Geraldine, have you ever had any issues with neighbours? No, I, 
I think I've actually been okay. I, when I rented years ago as a student, I kind of tended to live with other students and live beside other students. So we probably all made an awful lot of noise. But and nobody matter. noticed because you're no. all drunk. Exactly, no one was yeah. ever sober. It was fine. And now, thankfully, I don't have neighbours, which is great. But I think most people don't even know their neighbours unless, as, as Bill said, there, there's a reason for it. But I, I just wonder how feasible it is to actually, you know, to, to implement this in the sense that one of the reasons why you give your name is that ultimately the, these agencies try and mediate because you're going to have to live beside this person. So it's not like you have the, the chance to kind of move out or whatever. So these two people, or these two groups of people need to live together. So the whole point of giving your name is that they can organise this kind of mediation. I'd also be slightly concerned that it's open to abuse. I don't like my neighbour because he's just got a new car, so I'm going to report him for whatever. And you're much more likely to do that. It's a bit like on social media where you're much more likely to comment and say nasty things about somebody, you know, on social media rather than to their face. And I just wonder if you, if your name isn't necessary, necessarily, you know, has to be given. Would it not be open to abuse that, you, you know, you could just spuriously complain about neighbours for no reason. So I just wonder about how practical an implementation of this kind of a, a change to the law would be. Steve, it's an awkward one, isn't it? I mean, like nobody wants to kind of have to dodge somebody, you know, driving into your house and you're like, oh, I hope they're not there because, you know, I had to knock over last night and ask them to turn the music down. It's awkward when you live beside people. You really want to just either... You want to just both, I don't mind if, if I don't know my neighbours at all and you have absolutely no contact, but you certainly don't want there to be confrontation. You don't, but I am the guy that will go and knock on your door. Would you? Or I've over Have you done it? Many times. Okay, right? so Not talk in a me big through that. Scary commotion. I'll tell you why. When I, when I was seven years of age, in 1977, we moved into Glenagross Park in Moiross in Limerick, right? And at, the, at that time, it was a tiny little starter estate, part of Moiross. And for the first three or four years, it was beautiful. It was a lovely place to live. And then Limerick Corporation decided they took one incredibly antisocial family from uh, another estate and dropped them in and turned out right next door to our house. Our house. Within about a month, there was another antisocial family. Within a year, the entire estate was practically a war zone. I know, and I'm not, I'm really not over exaggerating. So I witnessed that as a kid and I saw what can happen if you allow one group to just kind of take control. So I live in a lovely little estate now and we've had some antisocial families over the years and I've, I'm, I'm happy to walk up and I'm not aggressive or anything else, but I'll go, listen, we don't, we don't accept this So what this kind here. of things would annoy you? What do you mean by an antisocial family? Screaming and roaring at three o'clock in the morning out in the, out in the street, you know, people, a house party going absolutely crazy. I had one woman where her, she had a house party going nuts and eventually the guards were called and everything else and blah, blah, blah. So I wait until seven the next morning and then I woke her up. <laughs> to tell her I, that that wasn't fair and she was dying and her head was pounding and I was kind of going you kept the whole estate up we had a guy with a dog and he used to leave his dog out in front literally push his dog out the front of his house at night and the dog would bark and my wife was pregnant at the time and you know how hard it is to, to sleep when you're pregnant and she was being woken up by this dog so every night I would get out of bed pull on a pair of shorts run across the road and I would pound on his door this is at three in the morning non-stop until he would get up let in his dog and it cured him within a week it cured him and I think like anything else I think because I saw what can happen I've made it kind of almost my mission to move forward now in a way it's easy for me verbally obviously for my, my job I'm, I argue with people sometimes from a stage and as I say I grew up in my Ross so I'm not exactly afraid of confrontation <laughs> but so I'm, I'm happy to do it Well I once moved because of bad neighbours Did you? I did I had a house on South Circular Road it was a gorgeous little house and I was robbed one night while I was down visiting my parents in Kildare. And what had happened was people had climbed into my backyard, put a wheel brace between the bars on my back window 
to use the wheel mm. brace to make yeah. to widen Stretch them, them out, to yeah. let somebody break the window into the kitchen, get in, unlock the locks at the front windows, and then pass all my stuff out through the front windows, and empty the coffee pot onto the carpet in my bedroom for no reason other than walking the grinds in and then taking a dump on my bed. So I decided I have to move because I knew it was three guys living in squalor next to me and I knew it was them. I knew it was them because one of them was wearing my Walkman the following week. And I told the cops and they could do nothing about it and I lived alone and I was in fear of those three guys. And how quickly did you manage back. to move then? I put the house up for sale within six months. So now. you actually owned the house? You weren't just renting it? Oh, no, I owned it. But it's terrible. It's that's so, awful. that's because that's what bothers me so much. Is when, mm. and I, I, I will use the term scumbag happily, I'm sure it's not mm. allowed on air, but um, when scumbags like this, they have so much power or they think they do. And when we have to, you know, someone like you having to move uh, and mm. having to live in fear for mm. the, even those six months, yeah. that's obscene. So that's why, to be honest, maybe it's the anti-bullying thing in me, but I get really angry at people when they, when they act like that. And I will. Like, well, I had, we had um, people who were renting for a while, and it was one Sunday afternoon. It was a beautiful summer Sunday, and everybody was out with barbecues, and they were blaring music. And I mean, it was so loud. The whole estate was just rocking with this music. And I could see people, and you could see people looking over fences and being quite annoyed. And I went, no. I walked over, eventually got their attention by banging on the doors. They could hear me. And then came out and said, you've got to turn that down. And they did. You know what I mean? But then I don't know how far I go. Geraldine, that sounds very brave. I don't know. I, I'm a bit like you now. I don't have neighbours um, at all. Like, you know, they're, we're kind of one-off houses and I don't know any of my neighbours. I'm getting to know them because I have a child in school now. But we certainly wouldn't have to listen to somebody else's noise, somebody mm-hmm. else's music. Even if a dog barked, you wouldn't really hear it at our house. But I don't know if I'd be as brave as Steve if I lived in an estate and had to knock over. I don't know if I would be that brave. Would you? Yeah, I don't know. There might be other ways around it. Like you could get a, co- a, a few families together. That can help as well. Absolutely. I think that's the way I would look at resolving it rather than taking it on personally. And especially if it was something that was going to escalate and you just knew this, this family were just going to be a problem and it was never going to be solved. I think I'd actually just try and call a meeting with other families and get together and say, look, if there's enough of us, we can apply some pressure to them. But I, I do sympathise with anyone, particularly if you own your own home. You know, I mean, it's not that easy, as Bill said. It took six mm. months or whatever. You ca- mm. It's not like renting where you can just hand in notice in a week's time and move somewhere else. So I don't think renting's that easy anymore. But um, yeah, I, I do have huge sympathy with anyone who's actually owns their own house and is in that situation. So I do think it's probably down to you to sort it mm. rather than rely on a third party or any sort of negotiation legally or whatever. So... And the thing is, you're absolutely right. If you can guess, like, I, I, I happen to know pretty much all my neighbours just because I'm around during the day and stuff, you know, and, and with the school runs and everything else. Um, so I would, if there was, in, say, a new family moved in, I would, there's a, three or four guys I would chat to and come, we'd all go together if, if it was going to happen I would say let's all go together with, in a non-aggressive way you don't mm. want five big lads standing on your door but I suppose the one problem is though like I've never at least every time I've confronted someone they've, they've capitulated and gone alright what, what, what would I do if they suddenly go I don't care screw you and slam the door I don't know maybe maybe I'm, I, would, I would revert back to my youth and go a bit nuts but I doubt it but I mean there is like even confronting you do get to a stage where if they flat out say, we don't care. What can you do? What can you do? Yeah. Okay, we want to move on to something else that got us talking. I'll come to you, Bill, on this. Uh, you're a fashionable man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of this new fashion phenomenon that we have seen on uh, some of the red carpets? It's uh, obviously uh, kind of awards season. It's upon us at the minute. Um, harnesses, they're calling them. I'm calling them bibs for men. What did you make of them? Have you seen them? 
They look like something you'd get from mother care. And that's <laughs> not to in any way say that mother care product is wrong. But on a grown man going to an award ceremony when he already looks amazing in a black tux, yeah. black suit. Describe it for the, people who may have not seen these well, pictures. Okay, the best example was Timothy Chalamet, the wonderful actor. From, Is that the black suit and it was his kind of black and yeah, it was glittery? and it was that black was, and sparkly yeah. and it tied in with the black that he was wearing underneath. So it just like looked like an accessory. So it looks like a little harness over their shirt. Yeah. Whereas Michael B. Jordan, that beautiful <laughs> actor from Black Panther and from Creed, and he's, he's really a, a very fine actor. But he shows up at the Screen Actors Guild Award in his beautiful black tux with the body that he has spent years honing in the gym. Just his perfect shape. And he destroys it by wearing this floral uh, bib that looks like it has come out of somewhere between Laura Ashley and, you know, nonsense. Over his black, he's wearing this white and red and floral patterned like a little bib. That's you're thinking, OK, where's the baby that he's going to hook onto it? Because it looks like one of those daddy cradles or something. You know, It does look a bit like that. It looks a little so bit like a... So as a fashion yeah. statement, it's so redundant because, you know, they say accessory is a That's a word. Intrusion. That's not a word. And this is a fashion intrusion and a fashion invasion. It just is nonsense. Would you agree, Geraldine? Oh, Lord God. I, I, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it looks like a sports bra. Over a tuxedo. Like Backwards, kind yeah, of. <laughs> that's the only way you could describe it. It was hideous. I mean, I just couldn't see the point of it because the suit is a complete outfit in its own. So why you needed something else on top of it? It was just the most hideous thing. And it's from Louis Vuitton. I, yeah, can you and imagine I'd the say cost, cost of it? Cost a fortune. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there has to be easier ways to do Like, wear a shiny suit, wear, wear a coloured suit. Wear, is this know, the so, problem, though, Steve? Oh. Maybe just because there aren't that many options. And, you know, we can see Bjork on the red carpet in her swan dress. Or, you know, women can really push the boat out at these events. But for men, it's kind of some version of a suit. Was So was this just an attempt to try and add a little bit of spark it, to what men It can must wear? be. But the thing is, something so perfect and timeless is a tux. Like a tux is perfect it is literally perfect if it's if if you've got a tailor-made one which these guys have it's it's astonishing for those guys who who are desperate have you not seen dumb and dumber those two lads they dressed up they just took the the formal evening wear and just raised it to the next level by one being in pale blue and the other being in bright orange so you think color is the answer if here, you want maybe. a friend of mine uh tom o'mahony uh he's a comedian and actor and i was in tk maxx or somewhere and i saw this He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's He loves camouflage gear and all this. I saw this really fabulous quality dinner jacket. Um, a, but it's camouflaged, but very, very classily made. I took a photograph. It was 80 quid. I took a photograph and I said, do you want it? And literally, hell yes. So I had to buy it for him. And I only gave it to him there last week. Um, and he, this is something you could def, you could wear to the to, to the IFTAs or to the Oscars if you wanted. Uh, and it's it's a loud statement, but it's still a suit. The, the, the sports bra, I think, is by the way, is the best description. Ever. That is actually, so far, I hadn't yeah. heard it described as that, but oh, that's, that's what exactly I what it, it looks like. The minute I saw it, I thought he's wearing a sports well, bra. Why? Hang on to your hats because we're into award season. So we have the BAFTAs and the Grammys and the Oscars in front of us. And God only knows what people are going Every to show. Every variation of the sports bra If I see one of those bibs now, I'll just throw, uh, I'll throw cheese and crackers at the table once, at the deli. once in my life I want to be able to get away with saying a sentence like it's a fashion intrusion <laughs> Bill, that's, that's beautiful really it you is. should trademark that Bill welcome back to the hard shoulder with me Susan Kyo filling in for Ivan Yates this afternoon 
With my panel, we're talking the final furlong stories. I've Bill Hughes with me, Geraldine Herbert and Steve Cummins. Bill, I'm going to come to you on this first because I know you have a bee in your bonnet over an issue that has been covered on the hard shoulder uh, over the past uh, few weeks. Ivan, it's also a problem that he has. It's zombie walkers for people who aren't aware of what they are. Tell us. They terrify the living Jesus out of me when I'm driving and I'm sure Geraldine's going to bear this out for me because yeah. the number of pedestrians in Ireland who have, and in Dublin in particular who have now decided that it's okay to jaywalk and jaywalk, zombie walk, walk out in front of traffic while they have their headphones on and their heads stuck in their phone, in their phone so that they are completely oblivious to the entire world. They have abdicated all responsibility for their personal safety and if somebody nudges off them, that person's in trouble because they're the one that's done something wrong. The fact is, zombie walkers are now everywhere. Uh, beside my office where I work over on uh, Wilton Place stroke Baggett Street and Baggett Street Bridge, the number of zombie walkers is really, it's, it's, it's escalating on a weekly basis and terrifying because it's only a matter of time before a car ploughs into five or six of them and that'll be the end of it. Jar, would you agree? It is something that you do um, kind of see an awful lot. And it's not even when you're driving, even if you're walking down Grafton Street, like, you know, people are just walking into you. Like people aren't watching where they're going at all. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think people have just become like glued to their phones and they can't even look up anymore. And it's become a serious issue. I do, I do think, though, in terms of driving, it's, it's a lot to do with the way our cities are designed as well. We design our cities around cars, not around people. And, you know, so I do think there's an issue there that people should be able to not necessarily, you know, glue themselves to the phone and walk, mm. but they should be able to freely walk around without the worry of a car. So I do think we need to, like, if, when you look at the opposition to pedestrianising streets in Dublin and in, in most cities yeah. around, like Cork was the same thing when they went car free for a while, you, we do need to look at the way our cities are planned and maybe plan them more around people. That's not to say there isn't an issue and people need to open their eyes. I know before I started driving, I was amazed when I started driving that how little you actually see from a car and how quickly you have to be lo- watching to see a pedestrian. You know, People think that, oh, they'll see me in a car. They won't. You've, you've very little vision really you know, it's, and that's not even travelling at speed. It's just you have so many other things to do. You, you can't keep your eyes on everything. And as Bill said, somebody will walk out in front of somebody just innocently on their phone or whatever. But I do think there's a lot. to We need to go back to the way we organise cities. I think we really need to start organising cities for people, for pedestrians, for cyclists and move away from designing them for cars. But I take issue with innocently on their phone. Innocently. <laughs> nobody is innocently on their phone if they're crossing uh, a, a, a public mm. road. If they're crossing a public road, they're endangering everybody around them. If they're stuck in their phone, that's not innocent. But unless they're at a pedestrian crossing and they assume that's that the fine. Laws, yeah. That's fine. If Steve, there's a pedestrian what? crossing, great. But if they just I, ramble oh, yeah, out on I the I street. I totally agree, yeah. Mm. I was only thinking the other day, um, well, do people no longer snatch mobile phones? Because remember, a few years ago, everyone was very cautious of their phone, whereas now... Bill's bright. Yeah, I think I've spoken to you about this before. About you, you were saying you never, you never take your phone never. out and walk around with it because yeah, people be do snap them. Yeah. Because someone's going to steal. If I'm walking up Grafton Street and someone's walking towards Bill, you're walking towards me. I'm walking towards you, and we see each other. I will move slightly to my right. You will move slightly to your left, and we will glide past each other. If someone's on their phone, all I do is just tense up whatever shoulder's going to hit them. Because I go, I'm not going to, I'm not going to start doing the dance of the seven veils just because you can't be bothered lifting your head up out of your phone. And when it comes to driving, seriously, turn on the wipers, put your foot down. What the hell? We'll cure a few. <laughs> Believe me, if enough people are bouncing over bonnets, they'll stop. Holy moly. There you go. Yeah, Steve, that's a bit extreme. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get into this next topic, actually, has everybody got a pen? Because I want you to get a pen and I want listeners at home to do this as well. We're going to listen to a couple of songs and we're going to see, can you identify each of the songs that we play next. Have a listen to this.
Badly with that, I'd say we're on probably 50% there. But the reason that we were playing you, though, is that according to this new study by scientists from uh, NYU, uh, millennials are better at identifying songs made in the 1960s than they are at recognising tunes made today. So younger people apparently find hits from the 1960s to the 1990s more memorable than more recent 21st century songs. Bill, you did well there with the oldies as well, (laughs) but you made a few guesses on some of the newer songs too. Do you know why? Why? Because every Sunday I go to Musical Bingo in Panty Bar and that's what it's been. Instead of having numbers on the bingo card, they have songs on the bingo <laughs> and they're deliberately trying to so catch you out with the new ones. One of them was Ariana Grande there, Thank yeah. You Next, and the other one was No Dig, or No, This Is American, it was Childish Gambino. They'd play that kind of thing that just kind to completely mess with featuring, your head. Featuring, However, featuring, featuring, featuring. Uh, However, Dizzy Dineford, who hosts the thing, <laughs> encourages everybody to use Shazam so that you can, you because can check it's done the like song. it. And you, it's, you just laugh so much because there's so many tracks you haven't a clue what they are. And then every now and again, they'll throw in an Elvis or a Beatles or a Duran Duran or something. And we'll all howl laughing because we all know and we all feel like oldies. But the young stuff just keeps coming. And the kids know it. All the kids at the bingo are running up first. I, I've got my line or I've got my two lines or I've got my house, uh, my, my full house. And, and they get free cocktails. It's great. Crack. <laughs> Geraldine, you mentioned there your nine year old would know some some of those songs, some of the newer songs. But do you think maybe some of the newer music that we hear now, it's just a lot less memorable than some of the oldies like Percy Sledge there, When a Man Loves a Woman or Careless Whisper, George Michael. People can identify those songs immediately. Um, I don't think it's anything to do with the quality of the songs. I think it, that's it, that they can identify it. And it's because of the way music was presented in the 60s, 70s and 80s and 90s. It was much more homogenous. Like when you think about it, the only way you could listen to music was you bought a record or you listened to it on the radio and that was it. So what what was played on the radio was totally controlled by record companies. Mm. What we bought was controlled by record companies. And therefore, these they penetrated our culture much more, these songs did. And you know, the top 20 was a huge thing. Whoever was number one, if you were listening to a record, somebody else was, everybody was listening to the same music at the same time. So you got sounds that became the the sound of the 60s and the sound of the 70s and the sounds of the 80s or whatever. We don't have that anymore because we've just a fragmented way of listening to music. We've fragmented types of music and young people, like even within a class of nine-year-olds, they're not listening to the same thing anymore. So I don't think we will have sounds of the tens, if that's what you'd call it mm. now. I, I don't. I don't even think we'll have films of the decades. I don't think we'll have any of those things think everything is becoming so fragmented that music is just the same thing it's not that the quality was better the choice was less so these became more identifiable 
with a particular decade, I think it's a totally different thing. What, what do it, you think, it, Steve? Bring Steve in for a sec there. Well, for, just very quickly, um, I wonder, it's also the way we, uh, the, you know, the kind of the goldfish memory. Uh, I wonder, is people's memories getting worse and worse and worse <laughs> because we're hardly ever looking at anything. I do disagree with you slightly in that I do think music was better back in the day, but also I think they, but then I would. But uh, I also think that no one invests in artists anymore. Like Creedence mm-hmm. Clearwater Revival's first successful album was their seventh. Whereas now you get one chance at one album, might get a second album. So you don't even get time to to fall in love with an artist mm. over a long period of time. So, for example, Ariana Grande, she and she's quite huge now at the moment, has been for the last few years. Will she be around in five years' time? I doubt. What were you going to come in with there, Bill? Um, I... <laughs> Uh, oh, you oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Goldfish memory. Okay, no, 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 first, okay. So, what, if if I really want to know what's going on in the charts, Friday, now just when we finish up here, I'll be going straight home and uh, stick on one of the MTV channels because it does this week's top thirty. And if you want to know what's going on in the top thirty chart, put that on while you're making dinner. And it's amazing how entertaining it is because you're laughing at the nonsense of the number of, uh, what, what would you call them, novelty songs? Yeah. And then bad rap and kids trying to be gangster and fellas trying to be gangster and you're not sure who's trying to be what. And then boys being girls and girls being boys and the whole mix. It's all there in the top 30 and you can just enjoy it and go, ah, sure, that's what the kids are doing today. Do you miss the old, like the old way of doing it though? Geraldine has a good point. Like people were listening to things at the same time. So if you were listening to an album, you know, a lot of your peers were listening to it as well or you'd recommend it to somebody and somebody would go out and buy that album and they'd listen to it. Whereas it is kind of jump onto Spotify now, have a listen to something and jump back off. You might never go back to that artist ever again. No, but that's because in those days, an awful lot of thought was put into what an album was Mm. and you bought an album because it was a piece of work it was a piece of art by that artist and you would experience what the song cycle was it would take you on a journey you'd go into the mind of that artist for 35, 40, 45 minutes and you would just relive it and relive it again now it's the three minute track or the two and a half minute track and that's all you're getting of an artist you're not getting to know who the artist is as you would have in the old days with a whole album of material. Exactly. It's the Big Mac, it's the Snickers bar, it's a quick hit and then it's away. And if anyone has any doubt about the pedigree of Bill Hughes, Bill (laughs) Hughes is the man who brought MTUSA to Ireland, created the whole thing. And my Sundays, you talk about your Fridays, I used to sit and watch Vinnie Hanley and it just Mm. blew me away. That was... To me, that was the, the kind of the awakening of my musical pedigree. So for nothing else, Bill, thanks for that. Well, I'm glad I gave you an awakening of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> but I went straight back to sleep then, as you know. Uh, but Steve, in terms of uh, what Jar was saying, actually, there, it's not only music. It is sort of all, you know, will movies. there be movies of the tens? Will there be, you know, there isn't really a series now that everyone watches. Like, we'll have these moments where we're like, have you seen such a thing on Netflix? But there's so much on-demand TV and music now that you never get everyone watching the one thing at the same time Absolutely. and it becoming a big thing because you've moved off onto something else. Well, like I remember say, waiting for your next episode of something. You know what I mean? Like you, when, you, when you couldn't record it and you couldn't do whatever, say Wednesday night, you're, they say the next episode of the, the Incredible Hulk was coming out. You were just, everybody, you were rammed around the TV when the, the big reveal for the Who Shot JR thing was probably... That you could have walked, you the could have, stopped. you could, yeah, you yeah. could have literally lay down in the middle of every main street in Ireland, and nobody was out because it's such a big deal. What's interesting though is that's actually changing the way television has been made now because apparently when Netflix commissions series that they're written in, in terms of binging, 
So in the old days, you would watch something and there would be a catch up at the start of it to, you know, there'd be a five minute just to refresh your memory because it would be a week since you saw it. Now they're actually written in terms of just binging from one to the other. So it's actually changing scripts. It's changing the way TV is made. All of this. And it is, as you say, in terms of growing an artist or sticking with an artist. It's the same thing with TV. How many times do we watch one episode and go, do you know something? If I was stuck with nothing else to watch, I might watch the second one. But I can flick. You know, we have higher standards in some way. Well, our job in telly now is to try and come up with the shared experience. What's the next shared experience and where is the takeaway? In other words, so what does what do you mean by that? Then? The shared experience that people, friends are going to watch something all together. Family are going to watch something all together, that you're going to give them something that they'll all want to share and comment to each other, not just watching their Twitter feed, not just on Facebook, but that they'll sit down and watch and enjoy something that's a bit of an emotional journey that is going to take you from a point A to a point. Uh, Z right through all the gamut of emotions and that's why the big talent shows they've nearly all run their course but that's why the big talent shows have worked because everybody has a favourite everybody identifies with somebody that they're watching and everybody wants to see how their person is getting on so they feel invested so our job as TV producers now is to lure the audience in with characters or participants that they can invest in emotionally and that they can respond to and that they can feel oh yeah and that's that's how it works these days. So like the goggle boxes of the world or the uh, Ireland's Got Talent it's not so much the format anymore it's about trying the, it's, the casting is really important casting in those crucial, shows. crucial vital nobody's going to watch the, the, you know you look back at clips now from the old days and, and, and you see people and you're thinking how on earth did they ever get on the telly because they're not engaging they're not charismatic they're not in any way empathetic you just can't feel anything for them you think how did they whereas now it's got to be They've got to tick all those boxes, or they're not getting on the telly. It's so odd that you say that because I've, I'm, I've only, we've only recently in our house clicked onto America's Got Talent since it came on Netflix. So because we can fast forward through a lot of that, I, it's one thing that bothers me. Go, you had something very special happen to you, and then they want you to go, oh, my legs fell off, and now I'm, <laughs> now I'm a trampolinist or something, you know, and that, that bothers me so much. So we literally we fast forward through. And then they appear. But you're right about how you're invested in them. Weird enough, we're invested in the talent because, you know, when you get to the next week, you go, oh, I remember them. Mm. Like, weird enough, one that we were all just love was two um, overweight Japanese men making noises with their stomachs. And honest to God, it's one of the funniest things you've ever seen. But when they came back on, we were like, oh, my Lord. Now, I didn't care. I don't know if they are Japanese. Uh, I, I, I think they are. It was one of those guesses. <laughs> but I fast forward all the preamble and I don't really care about the judges. Did the noises but I do, not like, have an accent? No. I like subtitles. <laughs> Okay, my thanks to the panel today, Steve Cummins, Geraldine Herbert and Bill Hughes for coming into me on the hard shoulder this evening. That's your lot for this week. Big thanks to the production team for minding me today. Mark Simpson, Ashling Moore, Dan Flanagan, Alex Russo, Roisin Davis and Steve Daunt. Off the ball is up next. Ivan will be back on Monday with the hard shoulder from four o'clock. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening. 